Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking the Witch here. I'm one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I am so happy to be here with you today. I am joined by my wonderful, beautiful, talented co-host, Jen. Hey. How uh, are you, Jen? So I am still in Hawaii, uh, still have roosters that crow uh, fairly often. So it sort of fits with this episode because there's actually some sort of mentions of roosters. So maybe it'll work out great. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be talking about um, episode three of The Witcher. And this one is entitled uh, Betray Your Moon. So uh, this is uh, um, now just for those who, you know, it's been a minute since we, we we've done an episode. Um, I haven't read the books nor have played the games. So this stuff is all new to me. Jen has played the games and read the books and have seen this series. So I'm flying right. blind and uh, she has uh, has the foresight. So uh, let's let's get into this episode. I'm going to go straight to you, Jen. So, okay. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually going to structure this a little differently this time because I am super it curious sort of fits about with how this you saw some of this, which is clearly very well outlined in both the book and the games. Um, and especially because we're, well, I don't know if we should say that we're dealing with it yet, but we've got some interesting dynamics happening. So the, the, the episode opens with this kid, basically, who was attacked by something. And we don't really know what it is, but we know that there's something pretty bad happening. Um, and then uh, I'm going to stick with this sort of storyline first, and then we'll move to the Yen storyline, and then we'll move to the series storyline so that if we don't cut it too much uh, back and forth. Because I think it's easier for us to treat the storylines as you know, kind of one congruous thing rather than go back and forth in the episode, which we can talk about later. Um, okay, so so for this, they're in this uh, they're in this they're in a place where something has attacked this boy. Um, I think the what is the place? The place is uh, Tamaria, and um, there's some really interesting things that happen in here. We see a uh, we see a witcher, another witcher, which we hadn't seen before. Um, that witcher gets quickly cut down by whatever it is that hurt that this kid. So that we know that that's a pretty pretty serious thing. If the witcher couldn't even get it or didn't know what he was dealing with, um, the, Geralt is forced, I would say, to go and fight this monster because basically he ran out of money and he could either pay for uh, his company or he can pay for the room that he's been in for the past couple of days and he doesn't have enough for both so he leaves roach and as collateral for this uh tavern keeper and he goes to this place where he knows that there's a monster to fight now i'm gonna ask you did did how did all of that in the beginning make you feel or change your mind or help you to see Geralt? differently or the same or what do you feel like you learned from that um i mean 
I don't know if anything necessarily this different. I, I mean, I see him as a, as, you know, a guy who, yeah, he has a moral code. He also wants to get paid as well. He has his lifestyle, right? He ne- loves to eat. He loves to screw. So he needs to pay for those things. So that's where he goes and does his Witcher thing. So, uh, you know, I was surprised that he he was willing to leave his horse behind because he's so connected to it. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. It, it, I, I think for me, anyway, um, and of course, this sort of happens, it happens a little bit differently in the book, but in a similar fashion. Um, one of the things that I am always astonished with uh with Geralt as a character is that as much as he wants to defeat monsters because that's sort of his prime directive it's it's like that's built into his DNA is he's a monster hunter his quote-unquote downtime is not spent trying to find monsters his downtime is spent trying to find people who want him to defeat monsters for pay. And I know that that sounds like it's a, um, like it's, you know, kind of a paper thin line between the two. But for me, and I think that they did it really well in the series, it helps you to understand why he is, why he continues to do what he does which basically is he has no other choice and without you know saying a whole lot about what might be happening i think that it kind of explains a lot of his behavioral quirks if you look at it like he it's not just that he doesn't have anything it's that he literally spends all of his money in the games he actually spends a lot of money if you lose uh, on cards because he plays this game called Gwent um, and so he spends a lot of money on cards and women and uh, obviously he needs places to stay. In the very beginning first episode uh, we saw Geralt who didn't even have enough money to buy new clothes right? I mean three people mentioned it to him and I think that that sort of gives you the perspective about who Geralt is as a character. So I, I don't want to I don't want to, you know, take too much time with that. I just wanted to make sure that we set that sort of in motion because what happens afterwards with the monster that he's about to go fight, it sort of gives you an explanation about why he doesn't just leave when they say, nope, sorry, you go give the money back. There's, you're not going to get through here. Why he's so tenacious. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So he arrives at this castle and we, this also to me says a lot about how this world gets governed. It's crazy. There's this king and we, the, what we hear is a whole bunch of sort of rumors, things that, you know, this might be ways that it might uh, be killing people. Geralt does the thing that, you know, uh, launches a million memes with uh, checking out the other witcher's body to find out what's been missing and, Clearly, it's just his heart and his liver. And he comes to the conclusion that only Astriga is that picky. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, the, the, I, I, I mean, I love that whole sequence. But I, I, I sometimes wonder how people who haven't either read books or 
uh, played the video game feel about how intuitive that kind of was because it seems like it comes out of nowhere right did uh, you think that? No, no, yeah, it was kind of bizarre. But, you know, like, what I get out of it is, and then I did a little research for myself, is that he's, like, a master detective. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, like, one of his skill sets, you know. Much like Batman is a detective that we don't always see it, though, in the right. movies. Um, so, and in this episode, probably more so than the other ones, he was doing some more so of his detective work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, in fact, one of the things that makes uh, Geralt, I think so unique in the Witcher world is that he takes a lot of uh, extra time to perhaps just mentally, but to really understand what he's dealing with before he goes to deal with it. And sometimes it's it's almost like you wish that Geralt would spend as much time thinking about people as he does monsters, but you know, that's just wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we have this whole... you got to tell me what you think about this. <clears throat> we have this whole thing playing out in Temeria about the king and what happened with his sister and what created the Striga in the first place. So tell me what you thought about that. Uh... Okay, so I'm not good with names, so people out there, please forgive me. We had the one guy who had a a, a crush or was in love with the uh, the girl who's the Striga, who was underage, and he was having an affair with the girl, right? And he couldn't be with her, so he put the curse on her to turn her into the the how you say the word. Astriga. Astriga. And that's basically where we got had with that. And of course, um, this was interesting because he smelt it um, <laughs> on him. Yeah, you know, which was pretty funny. Like he, uh, um, Ger- how do you say his name? Geralt? Geralt. 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 And, it, and it's Ostrit. Ostrit is the one who curses. Ostrit. Um, okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, so it's funny because he like sniffs it on him and he's like, I smell where you were at, you know, (laughs) 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 you know, you know, it's funny, though. Like, I felt bad for him. He, I don't know. Like, he wasn't like evil to me. You know, the guy, uh, even though he did a terrible thing, obviously. But I mean, was or is it just me? Like, did you have hate for him or? Or did you feel kind of sorry for him in a way? Uh, it's a, it, Again, you know, in the book, it's actually a little bit different what happens to Ostrid. Um, in the series with him tying him up to basically be Striga fodder was kind of, it was an interesting choice. Um, yeah, oh my I, God. He couldn't even fight back. He just had to no, get yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. <clears throat> See, there's a part of me that thinks that Ostrid kind of deserved it because... Mm-hmm. First of all, I, I realized that he didn't mean to curse them or didn't realize that he thought that it was going to work or whatever. But he has kept the secret for so long. And knowing that and still serving King uh, Foltest, he has kept the secret seems really insulting and like 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt a little bit bad for him. I felt bad for him that he really had his choice taken away from him. He couldn't fight back or anything. But at the same time, I don't know if I really felt very bad for him. <laughs> you're, Although, you're like, ah, oh, forget that guy. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that he was still, you know, uh, having fantasies about what was going on recently makes me think, uh, maybe he kind of deserved it. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just too forgiving. I I I feel like the one who escaped without any kind of recourse at all was King Foltest. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who actually had the relationship with his sister Ada. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like more um that I feel like you know something should have happened to him, but you know, of course. Right. We, I, 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 there's no, in this world, <clears throat> it's interesting to me because in this world, it does seem like they, uh, Geralt tries, in, we've only had three episodes and we've already seen Geralt try to run away from what I would call, you know, well, destiny isn't really the, the best word, but, you know, he's tried to run away basically from the things that he says he doesn't believe in and he's had to confront them already at least three times where, you know, he says, I don't, if I have to make the choice of, you know, two evils, I choose not to make a choice. And the very thing that he says he doesn't want to do, he's now had to do three times. So, I mean, this isn't really holding water for anybody. Right. Because, you know, clearly he is able to make a choice. And oftentimes he makes choices that seem like, you know, are we, not are we supposed to know? Maybe we don't agree with the morality of them because sometimes his morality seems oddly based and you know maybe part of that is like why you know he didn't confront full test more um obviously he's not going to take out a king that's to me that's one of the more interesting dynamics he's a witcher he can take out monsters he's clearly super strong he even has the ability to channel magic at times right and yet he even he knows his place in this world and he doesn't uh you know go up against the system does that make sense no no it makes perfect sense yes so it's 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 i i feel like that's actually kind of an interesting thing so also we also meet tris right and i i gotta ask you what you think about tris uh, tris is the sorceress who works for king Foltest. uh wait let me pull up her picture uh, we're talking about this lady right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's very interesting because, um, she has her own agenda. She lied to everybody about she the did. Witcher, and um, which you know he she got called out by um Geralt Geralt Geralt. I know people are going to kill me because he's the main character and I can't say his name. So go ahead and just, you know, uh, shoot me. We'll, we'll but it's not like they worry. say his name a whole lot on the show. No, they, don't. they call him Witcher, actually. Right. right? So, so yeah. we'll say the Witcher. <laughs> the Witcher. Not the Witcher. The. Because there's other Witchers, but uh, he That's is right. the Witcher. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the Witcher G. Uh, I, I know I'm going to get uh all kind of hate mail but um 
so she calls she calls uh, she gets called out and so you know she I don't trust her at all and I can see that they're setting her up to be a major character uh, I don't, I'm sure this is not it of her am I right about that one you know, the series here is differs quite a bit from both the book and from the game, so I don't know. Mm. Well, I, I know I feel like from what I what I get is maybe she'll be more on the show or or eventually. Um, I don't trust her; she has her own agenda. But um, it'll be interesting. I I I, I believe. I believe the Witcher uh, feels the same way. Like he doesn't entirely trust her either. I, I think you might be right, and I think that as proof of that, he uh, uh, one of the things that happens is he he always seems to see through what her motives are. It, actually, Geralt is really good at seeing through what most people's motives are, which is. Uh, like you said, it's kind of almost like, you know, the Witcher version of Sherlock and Holmes kind of thing, <laughs> right. uh, you know, where he just like intuitively can sense some things that just elude other people. Um, and one of the things that also I think happens with Triss and uh, and Geralt is you get a sense that Geralt has been burned by magic before. Like, you know, he doesn't really trust sorcerers. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen now that he probably has good reason for that because of what happened with Stregobor in the first, uh, episode, but I think this actually goes a little bit deeper now, just as kind of a tiny bit of backstory, um, there isn't any hint of that here, but in both the books and the games, uh, Geralt actually has, uh, a love affair, a relationship with Triss oh, okay. and, it, yeah, it's and in the games it actually causes like a massive amount of conflict when you make different choices. It's crazy. So you know, there's that that piece, and I didn't get any hint of that here. I also got oh my gosh, you know, not to veer off of what we're talking about, but social media was really, really just horribly disparaging to the actress that played Triss. Comparing Why? her to the ugly version of Triss from the games, um, you know, her breasts weren't big enough. She was not built like a game character. She, oh my gosh, it was just absolutely horrible. She's it, pretty, I think. I mean, uh, yeah, I, think I think she's so attractive. Too. Yeah, and also, you know, the 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 idea in in this world, <clears throat> which. I feel like we're going to get to pretty soon is these characters are unnaturally long lived. Uh, And I do mean unnaturally long lived. Um, Sorceresses can basically retain their beauty for, uh, well, not even beauty, their youthful looks for a really long time. And witchers age unbelievably slow. So these characters are ancient by our standards. Right. And so when you, I mean, I realize that we're applying our standards of beauty to a world where that just doesn't exist. But I was frankly appalled at the way that people treated this storyline as if it was some kind of throwaway storyline because Triss wasn't pretty enough. Wow, I was just really, 
very disheartened by that. But yeah, okay, let's go. Let's let's go to so Foltis decides in the end. Well, actually, let's not sit. Let's go with what happens first. So Geralt confronts Foltest and says to him, look, I already know what's happening here. You got to let me do this. And Foltest doesn't look like he's going to let him. And so Geralt comes up with this plan to try to defeat the monster anyway. And, you know, what I was seeing in the beginning was this is sort of one of those things that's like he's tenacious enough. Remember, he initially, Geralt actually decides uh to turn the money down and it it speaks to this like really weird sense of what he's doing and why he's doing it. It, it when tris you know says look uh i'll pay you to handle this um of course you know he accepts but the whole there's this whole idea in here about Geralt's motives for doing this are definitely different than what we've seen before. And I think that it's sort of maybe just an inflection point to realize that he isn't always acting just for money, that there are legitimate times when he acts for his own sense of preserving or protecting what he thinks is important. And I think in this instance, he understands that the Striga if he can save her, would only be a very young child. And, you know, to me, there's like this whole subtext about how that seems to be important to him as opposed to just the monster hunting by itself. You know what I'm saying? And I was, I was wondering how you saw that. Yeah. I, I, I thought that he, um, I mean, he clearly, if he can, he wants to do the right thing. That's evident that that's right. how he gets down so um which is one of his you know his great qualities you know is definitely that, is that uh that he has a moral compass to him and he also offers once he confronts Voltest at the gates of the abandoned castle um he confronts Voltest and uh yeah at first it looks like Maybe they're not going to let him through. But then, you know, Geralt actually gives him a potion. And you see him pausing on it for a long time. Well, I mean, a long time, cinema-wise. There's a real inflection point right there where it feels like this is a big decision. And we don't know what's in that potion. And I sort of hesitate to, I hesitate to, like, maybe say what that might be because i don't want to give anything away but it's definitely a big moment and he gives it to full test and says look if i don't make it out uh, i'm sorry if if i if she makes it out and i don't just consider this a gift for the princess um it seems to me like during that whole scene it felt like nobody actually expected him to win right yeah i don't know why is it that people are constantly uh doubting his uh abilities like you had that one guy the guy who owned the tavern and he he's like i'm not everybody's always so quick to say how they're not not afraid of you you. (laughs) it's like it's like do you read the papers (laughs) you should be i i think it's an overcompensation for Mm -hmm. actually being very afraid but also knowing that it's not the witcher's business to interfere in the affairs of men Right. that they are not supposed to which is why 
interestingly enough, being the butcher of Blaviken, be, having that title attached to him is very uh, insulting to Geralt. He doesn't like it. He hates it because he did that to defeat Renfrey, but other people don't realize that. And they consider, I mean, he killed a whole bunch of people in the village square uh, that or in the market square. It, like that was a big deal. <clears throat> and so mostly witchers don't get involved in, you know, sort of, uh, you know, like in a fight, you wouldn't find a witcher in a regular bar fight. You wouldn't, <laughs> it really only seems to happen when there's something very confrontational happening. And so I think people are sort of used to being able to say, you don't scare me because, uh, kind of like walking up to, you know, somebody in the military or something and knowing that they're there for a specific purpose and going, Hey, I'm not scared of you really actually. Yes, you are. But, <laughs> you know oh, so I mean? it's all a bunch of be a bunch of hooey. <laughs> I think so. I personally think so. I, I, I can't imagine you wouldn't be afraid. Because, I mean, when he walks up to them, they all walk back. Right, they don't. You know, really. nobody's throwing punches or, you know, fisticuffs with them. Right, <laughs> so. yeah. So maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like they're just saying that they don't, uh, that they're not afraid, but they have a lot of reason to be afraid, yes. I, I think there's a lot of healthy fear uh, and respect for witchers, but it's not respect like, oh, I respect what you do. It's respect like, yeah, I know you're not gonna deck me. Uh, you've got bigger fish to fry. This isn't your play, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, so the, I, I'm gonna lump this into one big thing. Although I gotta say, you know, in the book, this is many pages this fight is many pages and it's absolutely epic i love the way that he writes his battle scenes especially with the when it's Geralt versus a monster um they're just so insanely well written um in the game uh the the striga attack is a little bit it is a little bit different but in the series this i think is one of the so far, our best indication of the number of skills that Geralt has, right? He can use magic in ways that we hadn't seen before. He has an understanding of um, how to strike and when to strike. Mm -hmm. And he also has quite a lot, I think, of sort of strategy attached to how he's doing this. Also, we understand, I think, uh, on a way that we hadn't understood before, he can take a lot of damage. I, I've been using video game term, but I mean, like <laughs> Geralt can actually, Geralt can actually take a lot of pain. But to take him down, it's it's definitely a big thing. So, what did you think of that fight? What did you think of the whole Striga fight itself? Oh, it was it was it, it, it was, uh, it was very entertaining. Uh, it felt like a video game. You it know, did. it really had that video game feel to it. And uh, the way that, it, you know, we got to it and all of that kind of stuff, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought I and it was scary, the whole the whole uh, run up to it and everything. That 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 monster, the Striegel monster, I feel like they did such a good job with it. I mean, 
there's both the practical effect, which was just the monster itself in some of those scenes, but then there was the really excellent CGI that went in along with it, which was just astounding. Oh, yeah, it was very creepy. I was super impressed by it. I was too, I, yeah. In, in the book, the chain, because I, I, I feel like we didn't see that very well, but in the book, the chain that he swings, I think, is silver. And that's why it's able to contain the Striga for any amount of time. Um, but I, the, other than that, they, I mean, they just did an excellent job with that. And so the way that to break the curse with the Striga was, and what I had referenced from the very beginning, was he had to basically battle the Striga until, uh, until the rooster crows three times. And uh, that would signal mourning, and that would signal that the curse had been broken. What I found so fascinating about it was that he really misjudged by just a tiny bit, but enough to make it absolutely devastating to him how long it would take for that uh, for that curse to truly lift. And she ends up biting him. Um, and man, that scene was just, that was crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, crazy as hell. Yeah. So he, Geralt goes down, the Striga goes down, he wakes up and he's with Triss and we, you know, learn a little bit through some exposition there. Um, we also learn that, uh, she, that, uh, that the, the girl has been sent away to live with some um, with some people who we might hear about later. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I thought that that was kind of a good shout out. That was a good shout out to the books anyway, um, because it's a place that um, that we learn about later. Yes, I'll just say that. Um, so okay, so so that was the the big Geralt thing, right? The big Geralt thing was the Striga learning about full test um getting some information about how magic kind of works on a different level with uh Geralt knowing what the battles are like and then sort of understanding that Geralt is you know quite the quote unquote Sherlock Holmes inside of this world he's he's actually a really good detective so i th- that was actually really good i i loved everything from start to finish with that absolutely and I really loved the sets in this. The sets were just so well done. I mean, I, I I can't remember a time when I've seen something that was so visually fascinating as that scene, as the fight scene with the Striga. I just absolutely loved it. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, <laughs> Yennefer because Yennefer's transformation is kind of the next big thing that happens in this episode. Um, And there's a lot of political machinations going on behind the scenes. Um, There's a lot of things that sort of we understand about the organization of the Brotherhood of Sorcerers and uh, how things sort of match with Taseya, how the Brotherhood of Sorcerers and, and just sort of what everything kind of looks like all together. It's it's an interesting way to kind of mash everything together, but I think that they did a pretty good job with that. So how I'm going to ask you, first of all, without doing the Jennifer 
transformation scene first because that sort of happens at the end. How did you feel about, um, you know, kind of knowing what was sort of happening behind the scenes with, um, with how the sorcerers, how the sorceresses were going to be assigned to all these kingdoms? Yeah. Uh, once again, you know, you get that kind of intrigue, the uh, political as well as uh, supernatural as well. Um, I mean, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, and you felt for her, Yennefer, uh, because in a, in a lot of ways she fits, you know, the, that whole environment, but in other ways she does not. So, and she's always feels like she's not a part of it. You know what right. I mean? So, and you feel for her because that's all she wants to to do, right? Is be is to belong. So I thought that part of it was very interesting, and the fact that she would go to great lengths to be a part of it, you know, by basically getting rid of her fertility um, in order to get become uh, beautiful. I thought that was something else. I so th this sort of um, really underscores uh, Jennifer's I. Uh, internal struggle at all times to feel like she is <clears throat> um, displaced and unwanted um, that she can never be loved um, that is a um, that's a big one because it really kind of guides every decision that she makes from mm -hmm that point forward uh, well even up to that point the reason that she wants to be in Adern is because that's where the province that she was born in is and it it is like she wants to be there to prove to everybody that you see I can be more than what you thought I ever could be and <clears throat> it's it, there's so much uh, pride that goes along with that that it feels like it is just destined to fail. I just, I mean, there was no way when I, even when I was watching it, I felt like, wow, this is such a huge mistake because here she outmaneuvered uh, Frangilla from going to the north, which we will talk about soon. Um, and what that the fact that she didn't go to Nilfgaard set up a, a, a cascade of consequences for later. But the interesting thing to me is that, is that Yennefer had to show to that she could outmaneuver her. And I feel like that was the whole point. Like the whole point was for Yen to say, I got this. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. From this point forward, I'm going to be in charge of my own destiny. Right. Did you feel that too? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, 100%. Uh, that's what I, I felt. Just the fact that she was willing to undergo the transformation without any... Uh, the painful uh, transformation at that. Without going to sleep was astounding. I mean, I can't even imagine what kind of pain that would be. I just... Oh, it looked, it looked painful. There was a painful scene. For her to say that uh i think she says it that there can't be uh 
transforming uh, the, uh, something about pain in there. I can't remember what it is. Um, is is sort of uh, it, it's it's telling. It's just telling that she's just willing to do whatever it takes at any time to do what she wants to do. And this is, I, I feel like this is very character important. It's very character important. Um, she she even tells uh, Estrid that she can't be with him at all because um, she doesn't think it's her destiny. She thinks it's slow suicide. And, you know, the, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's like, I feel like she is behaving just like Geralt by saying, screw destiny. I don't care what destiny has in mind for me. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And that is almost always the invitation in this world for destiny to come up and basically mug the hell out of you. So, yeah, there's that. Um, okay. So, and, and we also know that, yeah, at this point now, she cannot have children that seemed like a pretty big uh, sacrifice to give. And we also know that, you know, this is how magic works, right? Magic works by making sacrifice. At all times, any magic has to, there's got to be a counterbalance. And that counterbalance um, for this, for the transformation, had to be really big. And that basically is it. To say it says something, I think, in the books about um, that that the trade-off for becoming a sorceress is that you don't it's not a choice you don't get to make this choice the choice is you don't get to create new life and she's got a lot of very introspective reasons for it um i don't remember if it's yennefer or if it's to that gives us that uh exposition but it came from to say either told yennefer or she says it to her directly in the book i can't remember which um but that's actually kind of interesting Okay, so let's, let's, it's so, I, and I mean, before we wrap that storyline up, obviously Jennifer goes to Aiden, and she's going to get what she wants there. And Fringilla goes to Nilfgaard. So stick a pin in that, that is, that, that's notable, consequential. Um, Siri, Sorella, is out there in the forest. And the, the interesting thing that happens in this episode with Sorella is she comes across <clears throat> or she has been with the, this person that she calls Rat Boy. Um, and she is basically getting ready to walk. She hears voices. She's getting ready to walk into this forest. <clears throat> um, I gotta say, I didn't, and I still really don't, think that we even needed that i i i just i mean it's it, this is interesting and i feel like they really wanted to make series story about wandering and coming into contact with other groups that could be around which you know maybe there'll be potential allies later maybe there'll be potential foes later who knows that but it, it feels you know when characters do too much wandering it starts feeling aimless story-wise too right and that's kind of what i felt like about this and it's weird because i didn't feel like this in the book but i really did feel like this in the series what did you think no i feel you um you know it, 
I get it that you know we're on a journey to get to somewhere, but you know it's like you you want to be entertained by that journey, so you have to walk that tight rope of uh of you know how are you telling this story um the whole thing is the payoff right the payoff is it gonna pay off so right um, but you still gotta you know enjoy each episode one by one so um it's definitely the way it ended makes you wondering you know what's going to happen next so that's a good thing the i i think part of the reason that i that i never liked uh the siri wandering piece is because <clears throat> is because i don't feel like in just this one place right i mean you know people can argue about whether they see things in conjunction and especially if you've read um the series you you know you know where the series story is kind of going but in the in in the the actual um netflix series it it feels a little to me like um like they weren't sure how to present the fact that siri really had to search for Geralt, um and and that quest you know, took on all of its own sort of intrigue and, you know, like they need to flesh her out as a person. Um, but it feels, at this point, it really feels like they just haven't done a really good job of making the character as super interesting as I think they could have. Because I have to say that I didn't feel that way when we saw Siri use you know, her crazy power to open up a chasm in the earth. I mean, then it was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? That's crazy. Wow. But the roaming scenes feel, yeah, very aimless. And I don't know, maybe that was the point, but it just from a viewer's perspective felt very aimless. It just didn't feel coordinated. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It never works. Uh, Well, it rarely works, I should say, in cinema or television. Yeah, I I feel like they needed to sort of give her some a, something a little bit more concrete, like even mentioning, you know, uh, I absolutely positively know that I need to find Geralt. I gotta find him. I gotta find him. I gotta find him. Even asking people, do you know Geralt? <laughs> have you ever heard of this person? I mean, there were so many little things that they could have done to sort of make us feel like she was actually on a mission instead of just, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing or where I'm going. She have just so. went to his social media. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, that actually could be pretty interesting. Uh, no, actually, no, no. I'm not even going to go to there. So, okay, so that I I also want to ask you, what did you think overall of this episode? Were you entertained by it? I would say it it was the best episode that I've seen uh, so far. So that was pretty good. I mean, but then again, the last one was. It's is getting better, not worse. So that helps, you know. So uh, how how do you uh, do? Like, do you think? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But do do you think that just based on what you know so far, do you feel like they are um, kind of ramping up the the politics behind what's happening? Because I feel like that's what was the point of this episode was to show us that there are very real politics happening here and nothing is happening in a vacuum. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I I definitely get that from it. Uh, that you know, oh, this is you know, it's it's all about world building at this point. I feel like maybe most of this season is going to be a lot of world building, so uh, uh, which is f- great. You know, um, you definitely need that in a series. So, um, I, I and I I felt like okay, this one was really good. It it did it served several masters, and it definitely. did a, and it did it well. <clears throat> now, I want you to think about something, <clears throat> excuse me, because I think this is also important. Fringilla goes to Nilfgaard. Do you remember who uh, Queen Calanthe was fighting in the very beginning when uh, when the attack came? Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, yeah, because you told me to keep a, to remember that. Uh, because remember it was like the only she, she had lied about how many battles she had won or something like that. Yeah. Right. Well, th- she had referenced actually uh something that was happening, <clears throat> but <clears throat> Fring- Fringilla went to Nilfgaard. Right. And now we understand that it's also Nilfgaard that attacked. Well, we knew it was Nilfgaard that attacked uh the the kingdom where Calanthe was and where Ciri escaped from. So Nilfgaard clearly plays a very important role in helping us to understand the whole story together. And this, to me, this feels very, um, it, it, it was interesting because when I first watched the series, I think it was this episode that I realized what was going on. Um, and I hadn't put everything together well, I think I started putting things together in episode two, but I hadn't formulated my whole understanding of what was happening until this episode. But we'll wait until next episode and see if you catch what clearly is happening. And then I'll, I'll explain it. We'll give a little bit of uh, narrative exposition there. Well, sound good? No, it sounds perfect. All right. All right. Um, so I guess this concludes, uh, episode three, Betray Your Moon. Um, so, uh, we'll go to you, Jen, how can we get you on social media and all that goodness? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at following bliss one, and you can also find me on the web, uh, at my websites, moviesmakethemeal.com and my story deconstruction site at whitewolfstudios.com. All right, all right, all right. Um, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram, and of course the website is indyradio.org, indyradio.org, and we will be back with an all-new episode soon. Excited. All right, peace. <laughs>